Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. I'm uh, glad for the privilege of touching on this topic, and uh, I'm privileged to be a part of a congregation that doesn't duck the difficult issues. This series is called Puzzled. It's a bit different. You know, usually uh, in this time of teaching, we're, we're geared to break down God's word as to how it can be practical, how it can be helpful in our lives. You know, I've constantly said that most preaching I've heard in time, and you would probably agree, is true. It's just not very helpful. And uh, we, we intend always to be helpful. What's the human issue that we want to address, and what does God's word have to say about that? In fact, uh, at the seminary, we were taught, read the text, explain the text, get to the application. You know, we do that just backward here for a reason. We say, here's the issue, and isn't this so frustrating for you? And you say, yeah, I get it. That's the issue. What does God's word have to say about that? And then we bring the scripture. You know, that's just the way I think people learn today. And, and, and we really focus on that. This is a bit different because we're almost in an apologetic sermon, not in the I'm sorry for God kind of way, but the classic definition of the word apologist, which is a defender or an explainer of the things that seem difficult to understand. And this whole series is dealing with those things that, that cause Christians to stumble, Christians to doubt, and, and if Christians stumble and Christians doubt, just imagine what people who don't believe what we believe, uh, how these things cause them to say, you know, I, I would like to believe there is a God, I would like to believe that he loves me, but, you know, this is beyond my ability to comprehend. I, I just... You know, I'm just going to stay clear. I, I just don't think it makes any sense to believe. You know, the absurd stories in the Bible that you Christians believe. You know, we're going to tackle those things. We did last week with a story of Noah, you know, on the screen behind me here. And if you weren't here uh, to hear that message, I encourage you to go back to our website, back to the archive, and, and listen to that message and, and see what God's Word actually has to say about that and uh, why we believe and accept some foolish things. And, and even outside of the scripture, there are reasons to believe the things that scripture says. And, and uh, while you're there on our website, also go down to the Edify last week and, and read the message that we send out every week uh, about issues relating to what we typically teach. And we talked about the foolishness of faith. And I encourage you to go and, and read that as well. And how... In fact, there are miracles all around us, so why should it trouble us to believe in the miracles of the Bible? Even non-believers accept miracles, so go and read that, I encourage you. Uh, but now we're talking not so much just about the absurdities of what the Scripture teaches to be true, but the absurdities of life. Behind me is a screen of, uh, of pictures of people, and, and uh, I taught this last night. My wife was sitting over here in the, in the first pew, and she said, that was a bit dark. You know, that, that might have been a bit scary, uh, especially for uh, some younger people who are attending service. So I don't intend to sensationalize this, but, but we can't avoid it either. These are the things, these are the stories that cause people to say, how can there be a God and how can that God be God good and how can that God be all-powerful if these things happen in the world? And so we can't duck it, but I... Uh, I'm going to try to deal with it in a way that's not so graphic. You know, these, these are true stories. The upper left-hand corner, the Gutzler family, you, you heard about them flying back from uh, uh, Florida last week, and their plane crashed in Kentucky, and, and uh, the entire family was lost except for that little girl, Sailor, up in the corner there, seven years old. 
in stocking feet and a short sleeve shirt. She walked a mile across uh, dense uh, woods to a house and, and was rescued, but her family was lost. Where's God in that? How can that possibly be? Phoebe in the center there. You might have read, uh, you know, the tragic story of uh, her being tossed from a bridge in Florida. Just incredible that that could happen. How could things get so crazy? Or Emma in the uh, top right there. Uh, this is a story from Montreal, Canada just recently. Uh, she stopped her car uh, in, in Montreal, Canada, in a busy highway outside of Montreal, Canada. You know why? Because there was a, a mother duck with her ducklings crossing the highway. And she wanted to block traffic. And so she did that to help, you know, well-intentioned. But you can't leave your car in the middle of a freeway. Uh, you know, a father with his daughter on the back of his motorcycle didn't realize her car was at a complete stop. Ran into her. And they were killed on the spot. You know, tragic story. Well-intentioned person. And uh, Robin Williams, the most Googled story of all last year in USA Today, the most reread story online was Robin Williams. What's up with that? You know, this guy was intelligent. He was even a genius. One of my favorite comedians because of uh, the funny way in which he got into parts and, and imparted truth. You know, Good Morning Vietnam, uh, Patch Adams, you know, the incredible stories that he was a part of, Dead Poets Society, Goodwill Hunting, some of my favorite characters that he played. And through those, taught, taught a lot of valuable things about life. This guy knew life. And he also knew his Lord and Savior. You know what his favorite author was? Who his favorite author was? C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. I mean, it's a, it's a Christian apologist of the 1940s. In, in fact, he read all of C.S. Lewis's uh, stories to his kids when they were young. In, in fact, the favorite story that his kids wanted him to read to them was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe which is a story about Jesus. In, in fact, you can imagine him reading his story to kids. You know, he would take on the voices of the characters, and his daughter, uh, they truly love Zelda, uh, Zelda one time said to him, Daddy, will you not make all the voices? Would you just read it in your own voice? And he, and he said, I did. And she said, that's so much better. You know, she wanted to hear the story. She wanted to hear the truth. Robin Williams had to know that. To share that. So how does a guy like that take his life? What happens, you know? How can chemical mind-brain chemistry be so messed up that it leads somebody to do that? And yet he never lost his sense of humor. He said, you know, when I held my child in my arms for the first time, he says, you know, every father has these visions of what their child is going to, what's going to happen to their child and what their child is going to say as an adult. And he says, and, and I alternate between two extremes. One is when my child stands up and says, I would like to thank the Nobel Committee for the award that they've given me. And the other was uh, the fear that his child would say, do you want fries with that? You know, just, you know, just like two extremes. And he says, you know, they're my life. It's like, how does that happen? Or Enquez, you don't, you don't know him, didn't make national news, but was tragically killed uh, by a simple thing like diving off of a high board in Canton, Ohio. You know, broke his neck. These things happen. Where's God in that? Where's the righteousness in that? Or, or this story over here in the corner that involves Rachel, a 21-year-old college student at Kent State, taking a break from the extreme, uh, you know, stress of studying for finals, took a walk on campus on a breezy day, was immediately killed when a tree fell over and crushed her. 
How does that make any sense? The wisest man in, in all time, and, and I say that based on what God says about him, was Solomon. Solomon admitted that, you know, God confuses him. In, in fact, even Paul later said, who can know the mind of God? Who could be his counselor? He's so much greater than us. I, I said in my Edify last week, it doesn't surprise me that God is beyond my understanding. I mean, there are people, flesh and blood people, who are beyond my understanding. They know things that even though they explain them in the most simplistic way, I still can't get it. So why would it surprise me that God is beyond my ability to understand? Solomon said of, of, of the unfairness of life in Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom, he said, I declared that the dead who already have died are happier than the living. Doesn't sound like a really positive endorsement of life. Better than both of them is the one who has never been born, who has never had to endure the evil that we experience under the sun. And Solomon, with all the blessings and all the wisdom that he had, all the insight, was frustrated by evil in the world. So, of course, it should not surprise us that we experience frustration like that as well. Or in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, The fate of the human is, is like that of the animal. The same fate awaits us both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. Really? Or in chapter 8 of the same book, there is something else that is meaningless that occurs on earth. And you will quietly yell amen. <laughs> the righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve, this too is nonsense. You know, Where's the advantage in righteousness? Uh, last week I quoted from my book, uh, Contrary to Popular Belief, and I did have a chapter in that book too that dealt with the difference between righteousness and evil, and, and if God is good, why is there evil in the world? And in summation of Solomon's thinking, I wrote, according to Solomon's observation and experience, we can conclude that death is better than birth, but non-existence is better than that. Man's future is and always will be a mystery, we must take the good with the bad and rarely understand why God allows one to occur. Man has no advantage over animals. We may be smarter than animals, but death comes for both of us. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people, and no one really knows why. The same fate seems to happen to both the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous apparently have no advantage. Man, that is good writing. Joking with you. Uh, today we're going to take uh, a look at a proverb, well actually a parable, uh, from Jesus' own mouth that, that deals with this stuff uh, from Matthew chapter 13. It's a parable. A parable is, uh, I always explained as a child, is, a, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I like the, it's genius, you know, I, I'm really focused on this idea of God being genius. Because if, if he told just a true story, it may not be so applicable to your life. But when he tells something that is, that is a, an easy explanation, uh, you can apply it to all conditions of life. Uh, and, and he does that in this story. He talks about a, a man who's a farmer. And he's not really talking about farming, he's talking about life. So it's an earthly story that has greater meaning. It, it's a story about wheat or a good crop and about weeds that grow up. It's about... Good people and bad people, it's about good action and evil action in the world. And, and the, the good action, the good people are the wheat, and the weeds are the evil, and the evil people. What you plant versus what actually grows. 
you know, in your garden or in your field. What you expect to get from all of your hard work versus what you actually experience. It's also a parable about life and death. It's a, it's a great story. We're going to be reading it from Matthew chapter 13, 24 to 30. If you have a smart device, you can just open it uh, to the Bible app and choose live event. It should pop right open. Uh, or you can look at your Bible in the pew or you can follow along on the screen because we're going to read it right here. Here we go. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like... Now, I did an extensive uh, search on kingdom of heaven because Jesus uses that all the time. That was a Hebrew way of saying, and he was, he was actually a Jewish uh, leader. It was a Hebrew way of saying, this is how it works in God's point of view. This is according to God's value. This is according to the heavenly way. It doesn't mean this is the way it is in heaven. No, it means this is the way uh, you know, God's point of view plays out on the earth. The kingdom of heaven is like... A man who went out in his field and he just sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, not paying attention, his enemy came and threw weeds among the wheat that he had cast. And then the enemy slipped away. So when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The things about tares and wheat is that they look alike when they first grow up. You can't distinguish them until they start to produce fruit. Then it becomes aware. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow only good seed in your field? Why are we experiencing all of these weeds? You know, you've you've done good things, God. Why is there so much evil in the world? So that was their question. The owner's servants... An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, well, what should we do about it? Do you want us to go out and and pull the weeds up? That seems to be the logical thing. Haven't you ever walked beans? That's what they do. And this landowner said, no, I don't. Because when you're pulling up the weeds, the thing about weeds and the thing about weed is their roots intertwine. They grow right next to each other. And when you pull up some of the Weeds, you're also going to pull up some of the wheat with them, and both will be destroyed. Instead, let them grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. It's a story about comparison. Uh, Clearly, the farmer, the landowner is God. And he sows good seed. He does good things. Uh, The Bible says that God never does evil and he can't be tempted by evil. You know, he always stays above it. He always does what is right. He's the farmer. He's the landowner. The enemy, in this case we would say it's the devil. He does exist. He is a reality. The Bible speaks of him. Sinful people who don't know God and even our own sinful nature. uh, Anyone or anything that threatens the crop, and all of those things threaten the crop. The enemy uh, who affects the good that God intends. And the servants, Christians, helpers, who are eager to help in the harvest and destroy the weeds. You know, to, to, to promote good and to restrict evil. And that's what servants want to do. So that's the comparison. Uh, the simple points of the message are sound. Uh, First of all, 
uh, it talks about what you plant versus what you grow. Now, I said what you plant versus what you grow when in fact the story is about what God does, not about what we do. But God doesn't do that in abstract. He does that through people. And, and so through us, uh, he brings to bear his values in the world. Uh, he uses Christians to do his work. So his experience is also our experience in life. And, and while he can rise above it, we are often mired in it and tangled in it. We do good in our life, but we see something else happen, and it's so frustrating. You know, we raise our kids. You know, we acquaint them with the Scripture. We bring them to Sunday school. We bring them in church. And, and when they're young and innocent, we love to hear them sing songs about Jesus or VBS songs, and it's, it's all good. And, and, and yet, sometimes, not always, thank God, but sometimes a child goes astray. And, and we scratch our head and say, where did I go wrong? What could I have done different? You know, a child may even get to the point of antagonistic towards your faith and towards your belief and wants nothing whatsoever to do with it. It's so crushing because we invested so much. We did everything that we knew to do right, and it doesn't turn out that way. There are weeds in our field. Or we invest in a marriage, and, and we're the best husband and the best wife we can be, and, and somehow the magic is gone. Where did that go? How did that happen? How, how were we so much in love once, and, and what changed? How does that happen? Is and, and if it dissolves in divorce, I, I know that some people say, you know, I don't even know that I can even trust to make that kind of a commitment again because I'm in fear that if it went wrong once, will it go wrong again? It's just the nature of life, and you just say, I, I just don't trust it anymore. Or we work hard at a job, and we still lose our job, you know, because somebody else was jealous of us or because someone else, you know, made decisions that affected us without even thought about us, but only for the bottom line. Or someone else gets all the glory for the work that we've done, and it's hard to sit there and bite your tongue and say, you know, it's amazing what you could do if you don't care who gets the credit. Well, doggone it, sometimes I should get a little credit. I should get a little affirmation. Or I've done my job so well that the company becomes so profitable that the owners sell it off, and I'm on the street. Why? Because I did my job well. It doesn't seem fair. It's out of our hands. Or what well, one of us hasn't eaten right and exercised right and avoided all the wrong things and and we're the ones who received the bad health diagnosis, perhaps even cancer, and there are other people who don't seem to care, eat whatever they want, you know, never exercise, smoke like chimneys and live forever. So, you know, even in, in my love of history, Winston Churchill, you know, he smoked cigars every day, drank like a fish. And never exercised. I mean, if you've ever seen pictures of him. And yet he li outlived FDR, uh, Hitler, and Stalin by 15 years. <laughs> What's up with that? How's that happen? And when that kind of stuff happens, when we, when we plant and do the right thing and it doesn't turn out right for us, we scream, this isn't right. It isn't fair. And we blame God. How can I believe in a God who allows that to happen in my life? Now, we even are willing to admit that it isn't God's doing. It's the devil, the world, and in our own sinful nature that causes evil in the world. You know, it's not on him. But come on. I'm his child. Shouldn't he take better care of me? And even if he's not the cause, 
Can't he frustrate it? Can't he stop it? Can't he intervene? How could he be a God of love and allow this to happen? The servants ask him, do you want us to go out there and rip up the evil? Immediately he answered no. Because when you pull up the weeds, you will uproot the wheat with them. What a fascinating point of view from God's perspective. Out of love for every plant in the field, the conscientious farmer allows the weeds to coexist with the crop. He could not endure the thought of what would happen if evil was prematurely punished. So God pulls up evil. God crushes evil. God destroys your child because he's evil. He's slipped away from the faith or, or your mom or your dad or your best friend. What would that do to your faith? You already have your doubts about what God's doing in the world. I can't understand him. He's greater than me. And, and then he acts like this. And then God take my life too. Because I can't believe in a God who would do that to somebody I love. God was wise enough to know that our lives are all intertwined and intertangled with, with people that would be judged. And by the way, what one of us would escape judgment? What one of us is perfect except the perfection that is granted us through faith and the forgiveness that comes by means of the cross. That is our only hope uh, for being uh, declared good and escaping his judgment. So it's a parable about what we plant versus what we see and why God allows uh, the weeds to grow. It's a parable about what we expect to harvest versus what we gather. You'd expect that if you make a good effort that you should receive in return proportionately the effort that you've expelled. That's the way things should work. But our efforts are frustrated. We still receive some return. There is value in faith. But it doesn't seem proportionate to the effort that we make. This has to do with the harvest. It's interesting to me that to allow weeds to grow in a crop means that the harvest will be lesser for it. Because weeds compete for nutrition, weeds compete for water, right? And so the plant that does grow, that is allowed to continue, will be less strong and less fruitful. God would rather receive less from more rather than more from less. He would receive more, probably a bigger harvest, if he pulled up the weeds. But he would lose some plants. And, and so he knows that the, the harvest of righteousness would be greater if he judged evil, uh, despite the consequence of judging it. His harvest would be greater. His glory would be uh, stronger in the earth. But he would rather receive more from less, uh, excuse me, less from more, by having more plants produce less, rather than less from more. It's the nature of God. He has decided not only to allow evil to grow alongside good in our life, and we experience it all day long. He flips it on its head, and he desires that, that good would grow next to evil. You see, it, it's not just why is there evil in the world, why is there good in the midst of evil? 
He sends you out knowing that you will be frustrated by living your life in plain view of those who reject you, who mock you, you know, who don't agree with you. So that your influence can be felt on them. Oh yeah, you experience the influence they have in your life, but you also have an influence on them. And some will be saved by this. He desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants those weeds to be affected by the growth of the wheat next to them, even though he knows it's going to be hard for you. He doesn't only allow evil to grow next to good. He allows good to grow next to evil. He knows that your neighbors, your children, your parents, your friends cannot help but watch you grow alongside them. And the evidence of your faith is probably more important than the speeches you make to them about what you believe. The evidence of how you live your life. And and there's value in them seeing how Christians deal with death. How Christians deal with unfairness. How Christians deal with sickness. How Christians deal with the frustration of a child gone astray. By watching you deal with that from a perspective of faith, it's a powerful silent witness. More powerful than all the speeches a preacher will make or a Christian radio station that they will immediately change. They can't avoid you. And I would also say there's another value in this, allowing evil to grow next to good. By this means, you also deepen your faith. You search the scriptures. You plead with God. And your faith is strengthened through the difficulty. Where would the strength of faith be if if God made it easy for you just to be a faithful person? It's through the difficulty that we exercise our faith. And through the exercise of our faith, our own faith grows. We're to be Christ to the world. Did Jesus get what he deserved? Not at all. He was God's child. He, of all people, should have expected a a rich return and and favor for the life that he led and the honor and the glory and the the single-mindedness of his purpose in life. But the Bible says that's not what happened. Christ's example compels us as our example should compel others. Because we are convinced that he died for all. And therefore in him, we receive the benefit of his death. He died for all that we should no longer live for ourselves, but rather like he lived and died for the benefit of others. That's our purpose in life. It's the most meaningful thing that you get to do in life. It's the reason why God doesn't snatch you from the face of the earth when you first believe. It's a parable not only about what you plant versus what grows. It's also a, a parable about what you expect and what you get and, and why it's different. And finally, it's also a parable about life and death. You know, about an eventual harvest. Jesus told a, a similar story uh, while he was teaching on earth because people have always had this question. You know... Why didn't God take better care of his own? He, he talked about some actual stories, just like I talked about stories that don't make sense in our news. Believe me, I didn't have to cherry pick those. Every day the news is filled with a story or our congregation is living out things that are so confusing that don't seem right. Jesus 
talk about a time during his life in Palestine when some people were going up to the temple to make offerings. I mean, they were doing a Christian thing. They, they weren't just, you know, being good people back at the farm. They were coming up to the temple to make their offerings. And for whatever reason, some soldiers from Rome killed them, assassinated them on the spot. I don't, some retribution for something? We don't know. But it had nothing to do with them. And Jesus asked the question, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Did they do something wrong that God singled them out and punished them? And, and even though you can't see the connection between why the soldiers did it and the fact that it happened to these people, do you think that there was something wrong in their life that God was addressing? He said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will also perish. Or what about those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others that God was, you know, causing judgment to fall on them? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Such tragedies are evident in life to help us remember that life is fleeting and what happens here is not the most important thing. Tomorrow is guaranteed no person, only today. And faith should be that important. Because it is our assurance of life eternal, a better life than the life that we now have. Paul said, the Lord declares, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I was there to help you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put this off. You don't know what might happen tomorrow. Because life is unpredictable and we see it all around us. It's happened to others, it could happen to us. I love this quote by uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Uh, talking to Congress, he said, Farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil and you're a thousand miles from the field. Isn't that a great quote? He was talking to Congress, of course, because they were passing rules about farming as if they knew about farming. And I think there's a correlation to our story about a farmer uh, in our text because life looks mighty easy from a pulpit life looks mighty easy and right and wrong seems so clear from a bible study or while you're singing a worship song but then we go back to our life the messiness of our life looks mighty easy from a distance looks mighty easy when you're reading it in the bible but life is hard I like to say that life is hard even when it's good, and it's not good most of the time. <laughs> it's almost impossible, except by faith. God will sustain us. God has promised that the devil cannot snatch us out of the hand of the Father. That we who are saved will be assured despite our difficulty, and, and through our difficulty even be strengthened, and through our difficulty even reach more for the cause of Christ. Even though it doesn't make the word difficulty any less difficult. You know, there are weeds in the wheat. Good and evil grow side by side, such is the truth of life. For the good with the evil must endure the sorrow, the hate, and the strife. Life's not fair as pain we bear along the narrow way. But good can endure, for faith is sure that leads to that glorious day, despite the weeds.
Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're, we're human. It's our nature to complain. And, and there is unfairness in life. We, we have good reason to complain. But help us to understand that your desire is to redeem and to save all people and to let grow wheat next to the weeds that not only will we fill their influence but they will fill our influence and perhaps through watching us struggle from a perspective of faith they might desire what we have and what we possess so Lord rather than allow our focus to be on that which is wrong with the world help us focus on rather how you sustain us in the midst of wrong and, and how you commission us to make a difference in, in things that truly matter and can change, if not the whole world, at, at least my family, my friends, my sphere of influence. Lord, bless my life to be faithful despite the suffering, despite the, the, the presence of the weeds, that I might bring you glory, that I might stay strong, and that my witness might be effectual. This I pray in Christ. Amen.